0: The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, conspiracy theories, and the usual mix of strange politics.
1: Sunday the 2nd of May 2021 the Autumn Series continues with journalist Cameron Wilson who's just become associate editor at Crikey. Uh, we'll talk about Crikey and the nature of journalism but also uh, violent extremism and even something remarkable about the Prime Minister.
0: But I have this theory that Scott Morrison is, has this superpower we revisit some Australian history. The Port Arthur conspiracy theories are actually one of the quintessentially Australian conspiracy theories, and we don't actually have like that many of them.
1: And we watch as Craig Kelly MP vince his anger.
2: Uh, Facebook have simply uh, squashed and obliterated my page. This is the modern uh, technological version of uh, a book burn. This is
1: the 9pm Craig Kelly conspiracy fan club with Cameron Wilson. Ah, uh, Cameron Wilson, welcome to the Edict. As you're finishing your coffee, there.
0: <laughs> uh, yes, it caught me. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, thank you, thank you. I'm very, I've been very excited to be here. With I was thinking of the right term for you, and I think it's probably the Godfather of Australian tech media. So, uh, oh, absolute pleasure.
1: oh, no, 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 no. Thank, look, thank you, and and look, I'll soak up the compliments, obviously. <laughs> um, but no, there is there is there is a generation before. Congratulations on your new gig with Crikey, uh, where it's described as investigating the stories of the Australian internet, politics, culture, conspiracy and extremism, all that good stuff.
0: Why is all that good stuff? Uh, for you or for us? For you. I, I, so I wrote that. That's me. Um, yes. And I think it's good stuff because it is important stuff. Um, you know, like... I've only been a reporter for a few years now, and I've kind of, uh, you know, found myself a little area that, um, you know, I'm in. And part of the reason that I think I've been able to specialize in that um, and kind of, you know, get a reputation for that is because, you know, I find it really interesting and I think it's really important. And I think there's still a lag from a lot of, uh, you know, media and, uh, yeah, generally media um, to recognise the importance of that. So, you know, f- for me, I find it important. I, you know, there are all these stories that aren't being told, and um, you know, and they're, they're like they're affecting all of us all the time. So, I'm super interested in it, and to be able to work on that for Crikey, which is, um, you know, just, yeah, just in in terms of the Australian media landscape, it's such an, like esteemed, uh, it's fun, exciting publication to work for. I'm very grateful that they um they've given me a shot.
1: Crikey is interesting. Uh, when Jonathan Green, uh, who's now with the ABC, was editor of it, uh, I asked him about the Crikey audience, and he said it's um, uh, older male white people who are public, re- generally retired public servants who can't afford to buy a Harley Davidson, and they <laughs> want to,
0: and and this is their rebellion
1: <laughs> against. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I've, I've look I've heard, I've heard all of that except for the Harley Davidson part. Um, but look, you know, to be, um, to, to be honest, like th- they wanted me to come in and do something for a different audience. And, mm. and to be very fair to Crikey, um, you know, they have some incredible writers who have been there for a long time and are very esteemed, you know, people like the Bernard Keynes, the Guy Rundles who are fantastic, but one You know, one part of Crikey that I don't think gets enough recognition is they've actually got this very fun, very, like, uh, a specialised young newsroom. People like Kishore, uh, Amber, Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, like, others as well, who are specialised in something, who are doing great work. And, um, you know, that was... One of the, like one of the reasons. So my title is not just to write; I'm associate editor. They kind of I, I, you know my pitch to kind of come on board was not just to write, but also to see well how can we kind of get you know those young writers out and, and show them off to the world because they're doing good work. How can we get people to notice them? And you know like I think they're doing great stuff. I think that Crikey, um, I think it's public that they've they've more than doubled their subscriber uh, totals in the last year because of mm-hmm. um you know they're they're totally got great momentum. Um, and, and I think that they are, you know, they fill a spot that's like almost like the Daily Beast or Mother Jones in the US where, um, you know, they can do good jobs, uh, good work. They're not just do it, you know, just re uh, like everyone else rehashing the news of the day. Um, and yeah, I, so I'm, I'm so excited to be there. You know, that reputation, I hope all the people, all those uh, <laughs> retired public servants who can't afford a Harley Davidson <laughs> stay on board. But also, like, look, I hope a lot of other people who are interested in stuff like, you know, the internet reporting that I, uh, that I like to do, like the social issues reporting that Amber likes to do, you know, they'll come and subscribe and be like, there's something in there for for everyone, I'd say. And, and, and you know, I've told, like, I've told Crikey, you know, when I came on board, you know, up until very recently, you know, the way that they were using things like social media was not good like they seemed like a uh, they would seemed like they were someone who was catering just to those you know all white lefty blokes um, they've totally changed that they're even doing things like you know every day they have published you know, like the main product of Crikey for for its entire existence has been this newsletter, which they send out every day at midday. And if you're a subscriber, you get the full editions. So that means all the written stuff in your inbox uh, at the middle of the day and you can read it at lunchtime. But like the idea of publishing everything in the middle of the day is a very kind of like old fashioned thing for a publication to do because like mm. if you've got something, you know, you can get it out now. You don't need to wait for the printing press like you used to or your email newsletter to go. Um, you can just get it out whenever, and they've actually they're recently and changing that as well. So you know they are doing a lot to to try and and, and reach more people, which I think is good. And I think what that's going to do is going to take this good work that they they are doing that that maybe hasn't got enough recognition and make people realise that there's all this great stuff going on. I, I sound like such a fanboy, and I'm not, <laughs> uh, look, hey, yeah, I I, I'm, I noticed. I, I'm off the clock, but uh, so I'm not being paid to do this. But I, I, like you know, I I was. Um, you know, like I was, I've been picky about the jobs that I take, and and I was, you know, I'm always reluctant to do things like go behind a paywall. Like, you know, mm. I I believe that information should be out there so that people can, uh, you know, so people can read it and and use it to inform their life. That's the point of journalism. But part of the reason that I wanted to to come to Crikey is because you know, the subscription model that they have is allowing people to do good work that other places aren't doing. And that's what you need. Like, we don't need another person writing up what Scott Morrison said today. You need investigative reporting, you need different angles, and and that's what they're doing.
1: I'm always reminded, uh, when you say we don't need anyone repeating Scott Morrison again, uh, of seeing the installation of the new Pope, Pope Francis, Mm -hmm. and At the moment, in front of them, there was like about 300 photographers. And I thought, okay, for 296 of you, what are you actually adding uh, to the process at this point?
0: Yeah, no, no, total. And and like, you know, there is a value in um, reporting what the prime minister says. In fact, you've probably seen this, that, you know, th- there's been, uh, there's a hashtag on Twitter called, this is not journalism. And, and often <sighs> it, it, it's given to, you know, people like Seven News saying that the prime minister said that today. Someone needs to say that. You know, when when a public figure yes. says something that's important, I really hope it's out there and and you know maybe they don't go and uh, get a heap of angles, you know, they're not going and necessarily testing claims and stuff against other thing other you know perspectives. But it is still just important to kind of get that information out there. I'm glad that someone does it, but you are totally right when everyone's doing it, which I also think by the way is part of the influence of things like SEO um, you know, the fact that... That search know-
1: engine optimization sorry, for those sorry, of you I- who don't work in the business is. <laughs> like,
0: like, like, you know, these things... It's that- a black art and mostly bullshit. Totally, totally, totally. And, you, like, to peel back the curtain of publishing, like, you know, publishers want to get people to read their stuff, if particularly if they have, you know, an ad-supported model. And so one way to do it is to, to cover things that, you know, a lot of people are going to be interested in and... But what ends up happening is you've got this like arms race for who can get out the first report about something that people are interested in. But you end up just being, you know, like having, uh, you know, many, many, many publications running exactly the same thing and they're all fighting over the same views because they know it's there. But the more people who do it, you know, the less value it has. But you just hope by, by chance that for, you know, maybe you'll beat other people. Or maybe, you know, some random decision by Google or whatever search engine decides to send the, the traffic the um the fire hose of traffic your way, you'll end up with uh you'll end up with all these views. So yeah, look, you know, it's important, but uh, I'm I'm glad to be the a place that is doing more than just that.
1: On that fire hose thing, and this is completely <laughs> off piste, when Heath Ledger died
2: mm-hmm. and
1: committed suicide a few years ago now. Oh gee, decade more than a decade ago mm. now. Uh, I happen to be Walking to the shops and walking back and I heard the news I thought, hmm, I've been meaning to experiment with Google AdWords. Mm-hmm. So I I spent a hundred bucks uh, putting up uh, Heath Ledger Dead. What's your worst joke link on oh. up against that? <laughs> yeah. And I got I got that online within 40 minutes of, of mm-hmm. the news breaking. Mm-hmm. And I was at that point playing the, the base five cents a click through, which at that stage was the minimum oh. click through price, and that burnt for a while. But about an hour after that, mm-hmm. News Corp was paying a dollar fifty a click to take you to the Daily Telegraph website for the story and oh. just completely outbid me. So I was getting, I was of course getting, you know, the update from yeah. Google AdWords saying, Hey, if, if you want clicks on this you're going to have to pay a hell of a lot more than 5 cents. Yeah. You know, it's now up to a dollar 50. So for breaking news like that for the presence, a dollar 50 a click through that's to see what the Heath amount. Ledger story was. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that's
0: that's and that's, a, that's
1: more than a decade ago. Wow,
0: wow. So, I, um, my my Heath Ledger story is that I was I think what was I going to be like 17 or 16 and I was at was doing a short course at NIDA the you know, National, National Institute, Institute of dramatic of Drama Arts. Arts. Yep. yep. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I should know that. Um, you probably and, should,
1: given that you yeah. went there.
0: <laughs> I was only there for a couple of days, and I was doing a directing course, and I was there the day that he passed away. Mm. And you would not imagine the most dramatic Meltdowns you have ever seen happening there. It was like it was like a national tragedy. I mean, like very very well, sad. And he
2: was I one say, of their... Oh yes, oh I mean, yes. Thoughts and prayers. To, to be
0: fair, to be fair, yeah, very sad, very sad. <laughs> Thoughts goes out to the families, etc. But it was it was even for them. It was OTT. <laughs>
1: <laughs> On a similar one, um, back in the eighties when I was uh, doing radio in Adelaide, um, when Culture Club was the hottest band in the world. So it yep. would have been what eighty three or something. It would have been 83, I'll say. Um, and they weren't going to be doing a gig in Adelaide. You know, they were doing the standard Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane run or something. Uh, but they were going to come and do a public appearance that was organised, and that news broke very late. So I went down to cover it, and there were people who I normally would consider to be stain and rational people who, when they saw me with a pass going into the press conference, were screaming at me and pressing things at me to take in and sign. <laughs> no, it's a it's a press conference. It's not mm. – what, what are you doing? It was just insane. That's unreal. Whereas at least Heath Ledger was a spunk, right? You know, real solid spunk yeah. territory. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Sp- Rest in peace.
1: Speaking of spunk rats, uh, Craig Kelly, uh, I figured, <laughs> is probably um, the ideal person for your new gig, right? Like he's he's the member for Dawson, and he flounce quit the Liberal Party. So a politics. Uh, he's convinced weather data is being faked, and of course he's spreading bullshit uh, about dodgy COVID nineteen cures. But it's not just Kelly's views on COVID that are diametrically at odds with official advice. In 2017, he claimed people will die due to
0: renewables because they push up power prices. And when Trump supporters overran the Capitol in Washington last month, Kelly claimed on Facebook that it was a false flag operation by neo-fascists and Marxists to discredit Trump supporters. That was total nonsense.
1: And now Craig Kelly is banned from Facebook. That clip was from ABC Media Watch, obviously. Craig Kelly must be a big winner in your eyes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is a podcast, so you can't see how my my head was in my hands as that clip <laughs> played. Uh, that, that's my response to it. Yeah, so so Craig Kelly, as as most people would know by now, is still the the member for Hughes. Um, he is outside. Oh, the- did I say did I- Hughes? Uh, I think I think I I can't remember. You, you was, keep uh, talking. I'll I, was just, I was I was I know I know he's he's the member for Hughes. Dawson is uh, uh his learned friend uh, 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 George Christensen.
1: Um, oh, of course. Yes. Sorry, my mistake. Yeah. No, yeah. I I don't know if he
0: said. I was just um just repeating that.
1: And fat and, white bloke conspiracy theorist. Stuff. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yes. Uh, A member for Moonbat, and and two two good friends, and you know fellow members of the Facebook brain uh, caucus. Um, They uh, so so he has been um, someone I paid attention to. I think probably since the start of 2020, when I I, after I'd been in, in, you know, started reporting on the internet for work. Um, I yeah. So he he recently was banned off Facebook, but until then, you know, he had used his platform to just spread an incredible amount of, of misinformation, conspiracy theories, just bullshit. Just like the, the, the worst boomer posting you could ever imagine. Um, and he had an incredibly large audience. Like, you know, despite the fact that he didn't necessarily have the same amount of, of followers as someone like the, the prime minister, he would regularly get more engagements than than the prime minister because his content that he was creating was outrageous, ridiculous. Um I guess also it, it, I kind of always couch this in, you know, even though he is Australian, you know, he's kind of the, the stuff that he promoted, like, you know, he doesn't believe in, in climate change, uh, he has all these other other beliefs as well. They weren't necessarily just Australian, so he could he could really tap into the global uh, conspiracy network. Um but yeah, and so um I think it was now about a week ago, um he was he was kicked off kicked off Facebook for repeated yeah. violation of the platform's uh, COVID misinformation policy, I think was the official line.
1: Now, I will actually play at this point. A uh, this is about a two-minute clip. This is from Sky News Australia early the earlier this week. This is Craig Kelly himself, uh, who who clearly doesn't understand what he's done wrong.
2: Well, Paul, this is an appalling uh, form of censorship. Uh, Facebook have simply. Uh, squashed and obliterated my page. This is the modern uh, technological version of a a book burn. Uh, Everything has been censored. and They've they've even failed to explain to me what they say uh, is so-called misinformation. I stand by 100% everything that I've posted. It's backed by science, it's backed by evidence, it's backed by research, uh, it's backed by the opinions of experts from around the world. Unfortunately, in the Facebook world, that you have these government officials that make this pronouncement, and any contrary opinion to these government officials, uh, they want to deem uh, as misinformation. This is also, ports an interference, of, interference by a foreign company in the Australian political process. If I, as a member of parliament, and as a candidate at the next election, are unable to post onto Facebook, and yet people I'm uh, up against are able to, That is a foreign entity interfering in the Australian political system, and this should not be on, and we should have legislation that prevents this. Those social media platforms have a very uh, strong market power. They're like the old town square, uh, where you would get up on a Saturday afternoon on the soapbox and uh, away you would go. Uh, To think that you would be banned from the town square from not speaking, uh, this is something that you would expect in a totalitarian state. Now, fortunately, over in uh, Florida, only last uh, night, uh, where uh, there's Governor uh, Ron DeSantis, uh, there's the governor of Florida. They put legislation through their senate there that basically bans Facebook from deplatforming political candidates and bans them from deplatforming political speech and what they deem as religious speech. Now, th- this is, I think, is a very good law that they have in Florida, and I'm planning, uh, as soon as parliament recommences, to introduce a bill that is mirrored. Uh, upon that uh, legislation out of Florida and introduced it in the Australian House of Parliament. And I hope that uh, I could get a seconder uh, for that bill and we could actually get that bill uh, and legislation in Australia like it is in Florida.
1: There's a lot happening there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) I I don't really know where to to start (laughs) with that. It, it is. I mean, like the thing. I mean, book burning
1: do, is a is a place to start. I, I, um, I liked that.
0: I like that it was yeah. a nice uh, reference. The thing is, and I think we should be sympathetic to Craig because losing Facebook for him, it seems like it was a deeply traumatic experience. This is a man who literally left the Liberal Party because he wanted to post bullshit on Facebook so bad. Like, it is it, it is probably his favourite thing to do. It seems like it's one of the only things he does. To lose it, you know, I feel like it's really shook him.
1: I mean, he's, yes, he's left to go, as he has been doing, going into the State Library of New South Wales, uh, to go through old weather records to prove that the data is now being manipulated. Now, yeah. What is happening there is very simple. That it, They'll go out to somewhere like Broken Hill and there's weather records going back 150 years or how, however long. And in recent years, the Bureau of Meteorology, to clean up their data, has gone out to all of their weather stations and calibrated that old thermometer which is still on the wall from 19 mm. or 1850 or whatever and gone, oh, wow, this reads one and a half degrees higher than it should. We will adjust the data to fix any scientist will tell you this is normal
0: exactly and like you know the thing about people like Craig Kelly is so I believe that Craig is a is a real true believer as in you know I oh think yeah there there are people out there um, you know I'll even say uh, you know I think you know his uh, colleague George Christensen is a lot more uh, cynical and um I guess guarded in the way that he kind of uses, uh, I guess, conspiracy or just kind of culture war topics. But Craig, he he really believes it, and and so he he, you know spends all this time doing what he likes, doing what he likes to call uh, independent research. But the issue is that even if he's a true believer, you know, even if he thinks that he's doing the right thing, he does really, really ignore. The, the, the top advice like you know he goes in there makes his own interpretations based on what seems to be his prior beliefs so that he can and understand the world the way he wants and i'll give you an example um when i was at business insider at uh, this year i got um f- through the freedom of information requests emails from, from craig kelly to people in the therapeutic good administration so you know the, the body that that um decides whether what drugs we can use and what it was was so so Craig for the last you know year during the um, the pandemic has promoted uh, disproven and unproven uh, drugs as a treatment for COVID. You know he and found, that's why he's being kicked off. Ex- exactly, exactly. That that is the reason why he's being kicked off. But mu- you know much prior to, uh, to this, you know he had these interactions with Australia's top doctors. You know the people who are in charge of looking at the evidence, who are experts in this. And he would say, Craig would often be like, look at this, like, you know, uh, bizarre uh, paper that has, you know, four people uh, treated uh, with this random medication that was published in a Brazilian uh, medical journal. This proves that the drug is effective. And and these people would come back, you know, during what would probably be one of the most busy and important times in their professional careers and be like, well, you know, Mr. Kelly, that's not... Quite right. This is the reason why this study is wrong. Also, here's all the things that we've looked at. And then he would just ignore that. You know, he, he, like, I think sometimes, like, I think it's important to say that even though I think he's a true believer, he really, really believes it, he does go out of his way to ignore the best advice. So to say that he's like a brilliant researcher is, is absolutely not true. He, he likes to see the world in, in the way that he wants to, and he, he seeks out things to prove it to himself.
1: Well, this is uh, yes. The concept of uh, uh, yes, independent research is following links on Google that come come up until you find a few. That, look, look at all these people are saying this, or, uh, or um,
0: the other ones he would do is he would read, he would interpret studies that he read through Google Translate. Yeah, that's
1: that's that's always um, a good one because Google Translate does does so well with highly technical.
0: Totally, totally. And and look, I have to say, I I am casting aspersions on the ability of a a former furniture salesman to have a a real uh, high level understanding of, of medical data.
1: Do we want to talk about uh, Craig Kelly's dummy spit about Cyberpunk 2077?
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting because, so, he put up... uh, Do you actually have the the, the tweet, the text there in front of you?
1: I do. Uh, Craig Kelly says, and I quote, what type of world do we live in today when the woke try and cancel Dr Seuss while Cyberpunk 2077 is all the rage where, quote, four types of damage can be inflicted and resisted, physical, thermal, EMP, and chemical... Clearly promoting great, woke, wholesome values, question mark, question mark.
0: Yeah, this was a really interesting one because I believe that Craig Kelly, like I said, really believes in this stuff. And I think that he's the one who is responsible for the vast majority of his social media presence. This, to me, seemed very out of character because... I honestly don't believe he knows what cyberpunk is. And even if he did, this, this, this tweet doesn't entirely make sense. Like, you know, there's no real internal... Like, I, I, don't, I don't exactly understand what people are supposed to be offended by, which makes me think that he has someone who's younger, a bit of a, like, online, you know, kind of like 4chan influence kind of person, Who's essentially taking the piss? Who knew that that would be, you know, mocked and ultimately kind of spread his his message further? Because to me, like, it, it, there's, I don't even understand, like, you know, when you're talking about the Dr. Seuss cancer culture stuff, like, I'm sure your listeners know that that in itself was kind of confected. What happened was the Seuss... Um, family decided to withdraw, decide to, to stop printing a bunch of Dr Seuss's books which were racist. There was a bunch of racist ones that they just said, you know what we probably think it's better for everyone if they're not out there anymore. They, they, also these weren't ones you knew, these were like random, random ones But and that was kind of then turned into ah, uh, you know, the, the censorious left coming for Dr Seuss, like oh, they're trying to get rid of Cat in the Hat that at least makes some kind of sense this, uh, I... I I'm kind of speechless. I don't even know what part of, of of what they said is supposed to be offensive to anyone. Well, I, th- I think it's the
1: fact that preschool children are blowing each other away with with a computer game, which they can't buy because I believe it's rated R18+. Yes.
0: Yeah, anyway, so look, I don't know. I, it, <laughs> it, it's, it's completely nonsensical even for him. I, I do think that this was actually someone on his team Trying to 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 get attention by saying something that's ridiculous. It seems out of character.
1: That's probably enough about uh, Craig Kelly. Um, look, we're going to take a break while I do the housekeeping. Just quietly, I am incredibly interested to see what Craig Kelly uh, does next uh, once he he leaves Parliament. Uh, But, uh, yes, the housekeeping. Next episode coming up very quickly with cartoonist John Kadelka. We're apparently recording this coming Tuesday, the 4th of May, just a couple of days away. So if you have, uh, what are they called, trigger words or conversation topics to throw into that conversation, you had better get them to me on Monday the 3rd of May, so we're ready to to rock and roll. Uh, And, of course, after that, uh, well, the Possible Campaign, the 9pm More Autumn Series uh, 2021 was uh, successful, so that's some more episodes coming up after that. In the pipeline, Dr Space Junk is going to join us again. Friends of the pod, uh, John Birmingham and Mark Humphreys are both going to be joining us again. Uh, There's more in the pipeline. I'll tell you more about them in a couple of days. Uh, Of course, as you know, this podcast is made possible by you, the generous listener. Uh, This episode, it's thanks to Iris. I'll stop there, uh, just in case Iris wanted to remain anonymous, and also someone who, who definitely wanted to remain anonymous. Uh, So that's two good people there. Thank you very much. Thank you to all the people who contributed to both the 9pm Autumn Series and more Autumn Series 2021. Uh, You'll all be listed on the website as appropriate. And yes, please... Uh, stay in touch so you know when to throw your trigger words and conversation topics into the mix. Meanwhile, if you would like to support the podcast and haven't done so far, you can go to the 9 com slash tip. That's the 9 com slash chip, slash tip, I mean. And, and look, if you don't want to do any of that, please just tell your friends and family about the episodes you like. More audience is better, isn't it? Anyway, that's the housekeeping. Back to the fun. Well, let's do a few trigger words now, shall we, Cameron? Trigger words uh, in this, yep, in, this glass, in this what, glass in this glass jar <laughs> for transparency purposes. Uh, you can see it; the listeners can't. Uh, there are some folded up pieces of paper, and and on each uh, piece of paper uh, there is a word paid for by a supporter of this podcast, uh, which I just told everyone about in the mm-hmm. break. Uh, and we'll see what these trigger words trigger. Okay. Uh, uh, people who are um, owed trigger words, by the way, send me send me some. I'm running out. Uh, from Adam Baxter, hi, Adam, uh, comes the word shortage.
0: Hi, Adam shortage shortage uh oh man I I'm, I'm coming out a of, of, of blank like what's there a shortage of I mean look there's all these like these, these uh toilet paper shortages that happen every time there's a lockdown and I am convinced that it is it, it purely a creation from the media in that what happens is You know, someone picks up like, you know, so what happens is, you know, there are supermarkets Mm -hmm. that run out of things. That's just how it works sometimes. And then what happens is they kind of get picked up by the media because they're like, oh, there's a shortage. Like, you know, seven Brisbane will be like, there's a a shortage happening. And that in turn leads people to then go, oh, I better go out and like get the stuff because I don't want to miss out of that. And and I, I... no, I know, I know, I know. Suddenly, you know, you need seventy-two rolls for your weekend. Well, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, you know, I, I, I have some bad doing. experiences
1: sometimes, too. and the toilet paper is like, <laughs> yeah, but
0: seventy-two rolls, <laughs> even, even, for even, even for us, even <laughs> for us. I mean, look, we're, even look, you know, journalists or oh, professional yes. shit talk. Bring is, it back, um,
1: bring it back, Cameron.
0: Yes, that so shortages. That that's my conspiracy theory. It's it's the liberal elites. Probably
1: in in cahoots
0: with Shaman uh, and the other toilet paper makers. Sharman? Shaman. Shaman. Uh, I mean, I dare
1: say maker? you are far more informed on on toilet paper uh, logistics than <laughs> I am. I did. I did. <laughs> I'm a toilet paper yeah, a toilet correspondent yeah. now. <laughs> I did. I did look into this a bit. Um, it's in terms of supply chain management because the problem with toilet paper is that it's exceedingly bulky and takes up room in trucks and storage but is of very low value. And so you try not to stuff the, I mean, people talk about out the back in supermarkets. There really there really isn't an out the back anymore. Stuff comes straight off the trucks and onto the shelves. Uh, and so they don't keep a lot of toilet paper on hand is the thing. And during the during the pandemic lockdown, people said, well, hang on, what about all the toilet paper that's not being used in hotels and office blocks and whatever? I mean, it's the same amount of people shitting the same amount of shit just in different places. But the commercial Mm -hmm. toilet paper market Mm -hmm. is different. You don't get fancy triple ply, soft whatever. It's packaged into just plain, you know, plain paper packing really. No, it's not a consumer buy. And it would take time to rejig your packaging production line and whatever is in the pipeline and whatever in the different places. So by the time you've faffed around with all that, the lockdown is over and now you've got a shortage of commercial and uh, and hospitality toilet paper. And let me just say, if there's no toilet paper in the dunny at the pub, that is serious. Oh. Yep.
0: yep. That's a problem. That's a problem. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a much more considered <laughs> uh, than take so Thank you, Adam Baxter. Uh, should we do another?
1: <laughs> All right. Uh, yep. No one's bought a whole conversation topic this time, but people never do that. They pay 200 bucks to buy a conversation topic. And then, and then, ooh. Uh This one's from John Lindsay. Hi, Big oh. JSL. Maguire.
0: Eddie. I assume he means Eddie. Maguire. <laughs> Uh well, you know, I think probably (laughs) I'm sorry. Sorry, John, but the the less (laughs) they said I bat him the better. But um uh, I, d- I did say
1: that he that Koshi. Oh come, come on, come on! He's 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 an older white man in the media. We we don't get to hear from these people enough at all. They are that being is true. Discriminated he, against. It's much like, like a Craig, book He's
0: Silenced exactly. It's exactly. Silenced. Uh, look, I did say that Koshi compared him to Trump, which is actually in I think quite a sophisticated comparison. You know, I think there are similarities between the two. So, uh, what are you uh, playing with with your hands? Then? Oh, sorry, sorry. I was talking. <laughs> excuse, sorry to everyone who's listening at home. It's a terrible <laughs> habit. Um, uh, I remember. Do you remember that article that got written earlier in the year? Uh, I think it was by Rob Harris for Nine Papers. That was could Eddie Maguire be the savior of Labour? Will they? Oh yes. Oh, will oh, they yes. parachute him in into a a a, a Labour safe Labour seat? Labor seat. Uh, oh god, that that didn't age well, did it? <laughs>
1: I can see them doing it though. I really can.
0: Maybe get to those disaffected uh Pies supporters uh in the Labour heartland.
1: Uh that's that's a football team uh, for those of you oh, who don't follow the
0: sports, The Pie Pie fans. <laughs> the Pies.
1: Um, my I had a beef and tomato the other day and I'm going to vote Labour.
0: That sounds great actually. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Maybe I'll get one after we record. You are
1: making me Oh hungry, that would yeah. be a- Oh, well, oh, oh, all right. Look, that's that's enough. That that's enough of the trigger words. Thank you, John. Now I'm hungry. <laughs> uh, dear listener, there is a, a bloke in Canberra by the name of Chris Teal, who's the deputy secretary for social cohesion and citizenship in the Department of Home Affairs. Uh, He's also the uh, Commonwealth Counter-Terrorism Coordinator and the National Counter-Foreign Interference Coordinator. Now, I want you to bear all that in mind uh, when you listen to this grab. Uh, Here is Chris Teal. Telling a parliamentary inquiry how new surveillance powers for the Australian Federal Police would help them deal with the online radicalisation of people uh, into violent extremist movements.
0: A lot of this is occurring out of sight um, on on uh, on the dark web, the communications. One of the reasons I would contend that the um, that the numbers are as they are in relation to to takedowns is because we're on what. I think is known as the surface web, but I don't understand it. But there's the surface web, and apparently there's a bad thing underneath it.
1: Cameron Wilson, you report on the internet. Is there a bad thing underneath it?
0: I think you really know it. I think that, that that's exactly my my sophisticated understanding of it. Look, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, God. So so this was in the extremism inquiry that was happening over the last few days, and uh, I'm, actually, I'm actually I'm going into that for. Um, for him, because I, I, he did say before this, he's like, look, I, I, I'm not, I'm not the right person to ask about this. This is, you know, one of the things that's kind of under my big umbrella. But there's actually someone who's more sophisticated who knows it. So
1: well, that's I, true. There was a kind of longer bit where he, where he said, you know, he named the people who were around. And, exactly. and also giving evidence.
0: Exactly. And it, it doesn't exactly fill you with confidence entirely <laughs> that he doesn't quite understand it. But also, to be fair, who really does understand the dark web? We, we know that there's something out there and you can kind of get to it. But I think it's, it, you know, the dark web is a bit of a boogeyman. And and, and even oh, just yeah. the, 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 the term, the use the of like the, the dark web. It, insert
1: it, photograph here of of a matrix background with a guy
0: <laughs> with know, a hoodie in hoodie, front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and all black. Exactly, exactly. There's
1: actually a Finnish word for that. That's that's called a uh, hacker hupari, which is a hacker hoodie. <laughs> uh, the <laughs> Finns have a
0: specific term. I've got to get one of those. Uh, hacker hupari.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hacker. Hacker hupari.
0: Hacker hupari. That should be some <laughs> yeah. merch for this podcast.
1: <laughs> Look, that guy though. I, I have really mixed feelings about it. That, sure, his job as a senior public servant is policy coordination and rah, 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 uh, writing policy papers. And a background, hes he's got a Bachelor of Economics and an MBA, uh, and he's seconded over from ASIO. Now, mm. the thing is, ASIO's sort of job is countering extremism, right? Violent extremism. That is, That is literally their gig. Mm. So at least... Being able to give a one or two sentence explanation of one of the key channels for where this is happening Mm. strikes me as something that anyone from top to bottom in the organisation should be able to do. Yeah, and uh, Mike Burgess, if you're listening to this podcast, I don't know whether you listen to the podcast or not. You you, you certainly do follow me on Twitter, uh, which allows me to say that I am being monitored by ASIO at the <laughs> highest level. Uh, Mike Burgess, Burgess being Director General of ASIO, um, true story. Um, <laughs> I think I think you should know.
0: Yeah, look, I, I'm probably being a bit too sympathetic to to him um, on that one. I mean, it, it is not that crazy complicated, and and I uh. think I'm pro- I'm probably being um, I, I'm probably you know because I know people use the term so like vaguely anyway. I'm like, well, I mean half the time, what are you actually asking people to define? But it, it was it was a very interesting inquiry um, hearing to listen to because we did hear over the session, so there was the AFP, ASIO, Department of Home Affairs, um, and, and, and also um, the tech companies spoke yesterday. But, you know, those security and law enforcement agencies and, and the department, um, they were really unified on just how crucial and how central the internet is to radicalization Mm. that's happening in the Mm. country. And, you know, uh, it's funny. I, as a, like, I call myself a tech reporter. I I don't quite say I'm typically in the mold of a tech reporter. Like, you know, kind of, you know, some of that, um, some of the traditional tech reporter stuff I don't do as well. But, you know, I kind of stray into tech policy because I'm interested it just covers so much stuff, and and I'm mm. I've, I am fascinated in in radicalization online. I'm fascinated by how you know like right wing media online and the online culture wars are so impactful. To hear from these um, heads of the agencies about essentially that was pretty much just about the only thing they really spoke about. Because they said, you know, both Sunni um, extreme, uh, like Sunni uh, uh, um, motivated um, violent extremism, and what they call now ideologically motivated violent extremism. So it used to be like, you know, right wing extremism, but it's kind of for, for anyone who is not religiously motivated but has some kind of other political or social reason for extremism. You know, the internet for them is the main driver of how these groups, extreme groups, are bringing in people, in particular young people, very, very young, who are kind of getting radicalised into to harmful ideologies.
1: For years, the agencies have been saying that right-wing nationalists, are, you know, they don't say racist, they say nationalist, and they're uh, based. Radical organisations are the biggest kind of rising threat. The FBI mm-hmm. has been saying this for a decade in the US mm-hmm. and with the militias and the, the all of that. Listening to the questions from the politicians themselves, do you get the feeling that, that the pollies are really on board with the facts of this, that the agencies are trying to tell them?
0: Yeah, it, it's a good question. So, you know, in the past we've seen, you know, everyone from um Peter Dutton uh, to, I think, Conchetta Fiovanti wells uh, another coalition senator, try to say there's right-wing extremism and there's left-wing extremism and try try to say that essentially they're equal threats, which is not true. It's not, and that was made abundantly clear at this. We know, like, you know, essentially when... um, Tim Wilson, the coalition MP, said, you know, start to ask about left-wing extremism. One of the people, I can't remember which agency, was saying the, what we're seeing in terms of violence from the left is like pushing and shoving at protests versus we've got these groups yeah. uh, who, uh, who who want to start race wars in Australia on the right, and, and it's really not comparable at all. That being said, I think, you know, you still get a you got a little bit of that. You did get a little bit... Of um, trying to, you know, frame the discussion around, for instance, that Islamic extreme uh, extremism, which, by the way, remains the major um, p- part of ASIO's caseload, but they did say that right-wing extremism, under that ideologically motivated extremism, um, is their fastest-growing threat. It's gone from sixteen percent of their cases three years ago to forty percent today, so a massive increase. That's a lot. That, that, that's yeah. a lot. And, and also, you know, like, I mean, there's always, um, you know, there's always aspects to these that's, you know, that's not a perfect measure of knowing how big the threat is in the country. That's just how ASIO is treating it, which I think is probably worth kind of mentioning as well. Mm. We, we did kind of get, you know, these MPs and senators trying to say, well, like, you know, it's not just right-wing extremism, that kind of stuff. But probably not to the same level um, as it was before, which I, I think at the end of the day is like, you know, uh, some people have a big issue with the the um, this move from saying right-wing extremism to ideologically motivated violent extremism. Uh, and me personally, and I should say I'm not an expert on this, but I'm going to give my opinion anyway.
1: Excellent.
0: Uh, yeah, great. That's what I'm here <laughs> for, to, to speculate wildly. I don't personally really care if you are not, call if you're just calling you know a neo-nazi group ideologically motivated because at the end of the day if you are taking action on it if you're taking them seriously and you're fitting them under an umbrella um, term that means that politicians feel comfortable calling it out that's fine like that's fine by me the important thing is is taking action about it which they did speak about um and, and and you know to be fair they said that it's more complicated than just right wing and left wing you know there are people like incels which are um, you know, groups of people who are violently misogynists who have been re- who've been linked to mass shootings in the US, you know, they don't... And bronies. Me- and and bronies, um, you know, they don't... Neatly- <laughs> I'll just throw that in there. Let's yeah. not
1: explain that. Let's oh, just- sorry. Yeah, yes. Uh, uh, uh,
0: My Little Pony... <laughs> no, no, no,
1: no, 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 no. I, that, I wasn't oh, being okay, sarcastic. Okay. I not mean, oh, okay. Let's not tell oh, Let's leave it. Tell it. Look it up. You'll have just a great time. Just look up incel <laughs> brony terrorism.
0: You know, these groups don't easily fit... Into that ideological spectrum. And um, at the end of the day, it, you know, if it makes it easier for Peter Dunn to be like, let's take this seriously, to call it out, fine by me. That's, that's my take at least.
1: One of the other things that uh, has been on your, uh, your radar recently, which fascinated me, the Port Arthur massacre which mm. uh, for those of you who are very young or outside Australia will, will not know it. It is the, the mass shooting in Port Arthur in Tasmania that led to the massive change in Australia's firearm laws, uh, the, the buyback of all manner of weapons, because uh, millions, I believe, of weapons were – like the government paid market price. They said, no, no, we're not going to take your guns. We'll buy them uh, – you have to sell them to us, mm-hmm. uh, but we'll pay their market rate, and then we'll destroy them. And and Australia has not had a mass shooting since. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, uh, you know causation, you know etc. But I, I think it's pretty bloody obvious. You take yeah. away the guns, and there's less shooting. Um, you've been looking at the conspiracy theories though uh, around that. And of course, Craig Kelly's. <laughs> To come back to him again, he's right up on this. He's a he's a believer that this was all a false flag operation,
0: right? Yeah. So the conspiracy theories that I'm sure most people would know, you know, the Port Arthur conspiracy theories are actually one of the quintess- quintessentially Australian conspiracy theories, and we don't actually have like that many of them. So it it, it is um, something that's been around for a while. And according to recent research, I think it's uh, I think it's twelve percent. Of, of people surveyed in Australia um, thought that there was something to, like that Port Arthur, the, the massacre had some involvement by the government to set up the reason to ban guns in Australia. So, you know, obviously that is... Well, it,
1: it, it did happen around the time that these laws were, were going, like a, a routine update to the law was happening in Parliament anyway, right? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yes, very, very convenient, Um, but, but, but what I was kind of interested in is that we know it's been around for a while, there's nothing new about that, but I was interested in seeing how they have adapted to the online world, because... Um, and, and specifically social media, because, you know, it's it's no news to anyone that's, that social media has facilitated the spread of conspiracy theories in a way that nothing has before. It's allowed people to amplify them, reach more people, reach new audiences. Um, and what I found is that it is alive and well, unsurprisingly. Um, it has, it's, it doesn't even seem like it's tapering off. Like you're seeing these new communities pop up, you know, Facebook groups with Thousands of members that have been made this year, or not this year, but last year or, or twenty eighteen. So you know these these are relatively new, um, and also interestingly, we're seeing this this um, conspiracy theories around it cross pollinate into other communities, ranging from um, you know other like anti fluoride groups to kind of far right groups. Even and this is what I found probably most troubling was that it it found a lot of um, cachet. In online shooting communities, you know, communities who, who, are, for obvious reasons, are against these restrictive gun laws.
1: Hunters, so, farmers,
0: all those shooters, time. farmers,
1: and fishers. Exactly. Although shooting fish with a gun is, <laughs> uh, I, I am told, less effective.
0: Although, if they're in a barrel, I hear it's quite easy. Um, That's they use dynamite for that. What?
1: Really? You know about dynamiting fish? No. Or in a pond. Oh, you, you you get you know half a stick of dynamite, or like a war surplus hand grenade. You just throw it into a pond, and it
0: oh, it, it, it like, shatters,
1: and they all float to the surface, yep, dead, freshly yep. killed
0: fish. Okay, well that that's easy yep. then. Um, <laughs> but what I was interested to see is that in these online communities that are largely for like other than the Port Arthur stuff, very very rational, you know, very normal, um, you know, your standard fan communities, but you know, um, like you know, not full conspiracy they regularly entertain these conspiracy theories about the Port Arthur shooting, that it was set up, that there were multiple shooters, like all these other things, essentially to undermine the the, the what was the rationale for these laws. And so, you know, I think it is concerning when you see um, – people buy into stuff like that because, you know, this kind of conspiratorial theory, uh, uh, you know, thinking is quite harmful. You know, we, we kind of like we've all seen our shared uh, belief in reality kind of disintegrate and, and that makes it very hard for, uh, for for to, you know, make laws to govern because um, if we can't even agree on what's actually happening, then how can we actually decide what's the best way to deal with problems?
1: I think we might finish on Scott Morrison today. Mm. Um because he's very much in the news this week, uh, the the text and audio has come out of him addressing the Australian Christian Conference uh, on the Gold Coast recently. Where where uh, look dig around and uh, as always you know links on the podcast website you can see the whole thing. It's about a twenty minute speech uh, where where he frames his prime ministership in his Pentecostal beliefs to a Pentecostal audience. Uh, and uh, and let's let's just say there was some criticism and pushback on mm. on how he'd wrapped up. Uh, His uh, personal religious beliefs with his uh, life as prime minister and whatever. Now he then went on uh, Sydney Radio Two GB on Friday uh, morning uh, to say he was disappointed how some commentary had um, mischaracterised what that speech was about.
0: People of faith, Christians, um, particularly
2: in in, in accordance with my faith, we 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 just feel that you know whatever you do every day you, you do as part of your Christian service. Uh, some suggestion that, you know, I was saying uh,
0: something other than that. I mean, most Christians um, who, you know, would be aware of that, we all feel it's part of your Whether you serve as a prime minister, whether you serve as a journalist, whether you serve as a police officer, a nurse, a teacher, um, we just see that as part of our faith that, you know, you're there um, in, in doing doing service uh, as part of your Christian faith and uh, for that to be mischaracterized by frankly others who should know better um, I'm disappointed um, but uh, there's no suggestion about anyone other than the Australian people
2: um, deciding um, who runs this country.
1: And yet uh, we, we of course have this idea that there's somehow a Hillsong takeover of the <laughs> Australian government for whatever purposes. Uh, I, w- I will say before I I come to you on that, Cameron. There is a meme kicking around saying that X number of uh, Australian government cabinet ministers are members of Hillsong, and it's completely wrong. Like, Like, some of them are not government ministers and never have been. Some of them have not stated anything about their religious beliefs. Some of them are... Catholics or Anglicans or whatever we, who would be quite appalled, I think, to find themselves uh, labelled as some sort of evangelist, uh, let alone Pentecostalism. And and second, like, and, and Hillsong is not the only thing. There's a whole range of um, uh, Pentecostal-like and evangelical-like uh, groups uh, who sure are allies, but, you know, whatever. I mean, what... Uh, Cameron, what, what what do you make of, of this this thing? I mean, here, here he is, he's a man who who does, um you know, have a faith, a personal faith, which is fine in my view. Uh, go Sharkies. Um, go Sharkies. Do you worry about this at all? Or is it it's just him and he's trying to keep it separate? I link this in here because it does seem to fit in with the conspiratorial mindset that there's somehow a secret takeover of... Australia by by Pentecostals
0: yeah I, I, th- I think um, I think you're you're right you know I, I mentioned before that I have typically focused on uh, kind of like right-wing uh, culture wars how that happens online and conspiracy theories it certainly happens on the left as well and this to me is you know a great example of that people have been um, I think quite conspiratorial about this stuff I think that Scott Morrison uh, – I, I kind of – I posted this on Twitter and I haven't fully thought it through. I, I, maybe I should write about it. But I have this theory that Scott Morrison is has this superpower where he can drive people who don't like him crazy while people who are kind of ambivalent towards him or, or roughly supporting of him just don't really get it. Like, you know, he's doing these things that, um, you know, like – the, the majority of Australians are religious in some way. And, yes, Pentecostalism to many people would seem quite foreign. It is uh, – there's a very small proportion of Christianity, which is in itself, you know, not – obviously, uh, which is, I think, you know, only a proportion of Australia. And uh, When you kind of take stuff out of context or even, you know, if you view it, at, you know, like an alien would in a way, you know, a lot of religious stuff can sound kind of in, either insane or insidious. It is just a kind of belief system I kind of find it largely to be a bit of a fool's errand to read that much into it because I think that, you know, rather than going through this speech that Scott Morrison said um, and be like, oh, look at all these things and and what does this mean, you know, we've now got years and years of governing of him. Like we've got this track record that we don't need to like go and read the tea leaves. We can look at what he's actually done (laughs) and use that to be like, this is the man who he is. These are the things that he cares about. This is what he wants to do. I still that's not to say that I don't think you shouldn't be um, aware of how he is kind of using this. I, I think that this was in a way kind of, you know, this is bait. I actually think that this does play well with, the, with part of the electorate who see that a man who is just, um, you know, he's, he's uh, carrying out his faith kind of gets like, you know, either made fun of or criticised for things that many other people do, you know. I've got, um, you know, a a lot of family who are religious, not just Christian. Um, and, you know, we do a lot of ceremonial things. And, mm-hmm. you know, as a, I, I'm an atheist, I think that, you know, the actual purpose of themselves is kind of, you know, bonkers. But, you know, kind of doing, uh, I guess, rights and that kind of stuff is a very uh, nice communal thing that ultimately, you know, if you kind of strip it all back, you say, has a good intention. It's about, you know, caring for others. It's about making the world a better place. And so, yeah. yeah and, you, it,
1: why are we here? And what totally- is the universe about? And, and they're, they're, they're very important questions. And we, we find our path towards answers in different ways
0: 100 percent. so look i think you know there are definitely parts of the speech that are interesting and, and and one thing that i'm sure tech um you know interested listeners will note is that since the canberra uh you know rape um stories have kind of come out and 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 this this crisis around the culture in canberra and and particularly with its treatment of, of women in particular um I have noticed the way that Scott Morrison has decided and and clearly intentionally decided to identify social media, I think he initially he said, as an evil, and then he moved to saying it as a kind of um, almost like a carrier of evil, which I think is yes. a very interesting thing because he is, um, you know, what he's trying to do, in, in my mind at least, is to kind of uh it, 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 in a way it's almost like tech utopian in terms of like tech has this incredible power to influence us. But I think it's kind of divorced from, you know, you can't fix it, You know, it's very hard to fix a cultural problem, but it's easy to be like, well, it's like crack down on social media in a way it is to me almost like a little bit of scapegoating if you want to be cynical or at the very least it's it's an area that is kind of easier to do something on and we see that the government has this online safety act bill which is still before the parliament which is kind of allowing um, the e-safety commissioner the kind of government independent internet sensor to have greater powers to kind of act on these things i think there is something about interesting about how the way that scott morrison broadly um, approaches technology, you know, both through blaming it in a way for, you know, the abuse that people gets online rather than being like, well, what's leading to people to abuse people online, all the way to how he's talking about... Um, the internet doesn't kill people. People do. People kill or abuse people. From that all the way to how he um, he talks about how, you know, technology will be the solution to a lot of our climate problems. It is a like it, I think there is something in how he kind of gives it this incredible power, but ultimately that power is subservient to government, which we've seen with, you know, for instance, the News Media Bargaining Code, this idea that we will be able to legislate and change it as well. It, it is it is unlike a, another prime minister that I've seen. Oh. there's something brewing there you know uh, yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah. that's why i pause it's like there's there's there is something uh, in there i haven't
0: got it but i i I promised my editor at crikey that i will at some point write the unified theory of scott morrison's approach to technology but i haven't quite got there yet
1: wow i was going to to ask so what's next for you that sounds like an (laughs) excellent what's next a unified theory of Scott Morrison Cameron Wilson thank you very much for giving up your time uh, for this wonderful conversation
0: it has been a really great pleasure thank you so much and I want to thank you specifically you know you have been such a inspiration to me in my career I I really do love your work yeah you have you have Um, thank you and and also just such a lovely person in the community it's great having you around I'm sure your listeners feel the same so thank you for everything you do
1: thank you so much and uh, I'll let you go about your day That's the edict for now. Uh, next episode coming up in just a few days with cartoonist John Koudelka. So get your trigger words and conversation topics in quick smart. Uh, if you want to support the podcast, tell your friends or go to the 9pm slash tip and chuck in a few bucks. Uh, until next time, I'm Garian. Wash your hands. The 9pm Edict is a
0: Skank Media
1: production. Sorry.